Welcome to She's Got Soul, Journey of the Modern Women podcast. I am your host, Coloma, psychologist, neuroscientist, primatologist, movement instructor, and mindfulness coach. A woman in her flow knows what she wants, feels empowered and free, and lives in the natural state of high vibration she was born to embody. This is what this show is about, a call to all women whose purpose is to express their creativity and sensuality, who are ready to experience life from a place of alignment and connectedness. In today's episode, we will talk about tips and steps for mindful living, the true significance of being alone, how to embrace being single, and to experience empowerment in today's judgmental society. We also touch on mindful eating and how to express our emotions in healthy ways, among other interesting and valuable information. For this, we have with us today Christy Curtis, mindfulness and yoga educator, author and speaker. She has developed a simplistic approach that allows individuals to remove obstacles that interfere with their personal growth. She leads workshops that are designed to enable participants gain personal insight to stress reduction strategies, meditation methods, and bring greater awareness to integrate the mind-body-heart connection for clarity, ease, and more fulfillment of daily life. She defines herself by being on a journey like everyone else, evolving, growing, and learning with everything she does. Her love of yoga and transformation from the practice has driven a thriving curiosity that opened her life to mindfulness meditation, teaching high school yoga, and social-emotional development for teachers, all while being a forever student. She finds endless joy supporting and serving others who are on a healing path through holistic health, wellness, meditation, plant medicine, and spirituality. Hi, Christy. It feels like ages since I last heard your voice, and I'm really happy to have you here with me today. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I would like to start talking about your latest book, Gratitude and Mindfulness Learning Journal. Tell us a bit about it. Why did you decide to write it, and what can we find in it? Yeah, so um, first and foremost, I'm, um, I'm an educator at heart. I've been teaching in the public school system for GIZO. It's now 21 years, which makes me feel extremely old, but that's what it is. So I've seen, it's, I've ran the gamut with it and being in the trenches on so many levels. Um, started as a teacher, coach at the high school level, was an administrator, athletic director, like I did all these other things, but my heart has always been in teaching and residing with a teacher. I mean, I know we're here to teach kids, but there's other things that teachers go through because we're on the front lines um, just as much like we're in it with the kids. And when I was an administrator, I lost sight of that. And I was like, wait a second. And so I was able to go back to teaching. Um, thank goodness my I have a couple credentials, one's in English, but the other's in physical education and kinesiology. And so I was like, screw it. I'm not grading papers anymore. I'm uh, going to go and, and do physical education, which I got to do and um, got to start a yoga program. 
after getting yoga certified. And so that was the biggest game changer for me where to start to integrate body mind connection. And the book is truly focused on um, scientific backed evidence and research of gratitude and mindfulness and their learning activities. And it's based upon, um, again, the intention to write the book was to equip teachers to be this bridging gap of how they can relate better with students when it, hey, kids, in order for kids to learn, they can't learn when their minds are not connected to their bodies. When we live in our heads, we don't, it's like we're virtually unprotected. We don't feel safe. And if a child doesn't feel safe in a school, there's no way they're going to be able to, you know, remember anything a teacher is saying, let alone get along with other people or anything else. And so these are over 60 different um, short lessons for a teacher. The intention is to do with students so the teacher can get a dose of mindfulness and gratitude practices for themselves just to find a way to regulate our nervous system so we can all be on the same page and create trust in a classroom, um, a better relationship with students. It opens us up as teachers to being a little bit more vulnerable, which in a student's eyes makes us human. Um, and again, it can be scary and gnarly, but I think that's the rawness. And my co-author and I, I mean, we wrote this before COVID, and now it's like, oh my gosh, we've been living it for so long. And now we're really hoping that it can catch, people are ready for it. Um, whereas before when it was first released, it, I don't think the world knew how to use it or wasn't wanting, you know, we sometimes fear what we don't know how to do. And now it's, there's this open cry of, okay, we need a resource and parents can do this with kids. It's good for all ages. And it's just not for kids, it's for adults too. Just sit down, do a worksheet with your child, have a dialogue, make eye contact, talk about it, the awkward feelings, the things that, okay, angry, all right. So that makes your belly tight. Let's talk about that, you know, kind of a thing. And there's no, it's a thing, it's an open roadmap. The destination is to feel connected. Again, what is mindfulness present? Paying attention to the present moment, to your thoughts, your emotions, gratitude. Just thinking about something makes us all feel better. So it's a big, long story to the a long version of the initial question, but that was the intention. It was truly a place from the heart and to help build and better equip teachers to bridge the gap that needs to be taken. Yeah, amazing. Because we are definitely in continuously continuous planning mode, living from the past or have lost a meaningful connection to the self and precisely to this doing mode we live in and we miss out on what truly brings joy, which is the present moment. Um, and I wanted to ask you what's your journey in regards to this realization, because you said that you were a former athlete and you're currently a public educator. How did you first find mindfulness and what benefits has it brought into your life? Yeah, so I, I love being able to answer this question, Coloma, because as an athlete, you know, there's drive and there's work ethic and there's competition. And it's just like, yeah, that's one thing. And we're growing up, you know, the jock and the tomboy and all. And I, but I loved it. I loved the athletic piece. It made me feel alive. But there was something when I was playing and I played college basketball and I played a bunch of sports growing up in high school and all through my um, childhood years. But 
um, there was something that started to click when I was in high school, that flow state, when I started to learn about sports psychology a little bit. And I was like, okay, when I'm playing basketball and there's a ton of people in the gym, but the gym is quiet and the basketball rim is ginormous. And it's just like, it's just me and my breath. And that was flow state. So it's a place in your mind that you can, I was like, but it was, I was just present. And I would find that when I would run and that was started to create this connection of the breath. And then I was like, okay. And I needed one more unit to um, fin finish up my kines minor. And there was a yoga class and tennis. So I took yoga and tennis and I was like, oh, yoga would be great for me to heal, you know, prevent some injuries. But I, it stopped me dead in my tracks. And I was like, oh my God this is breath. This is the connection. And it was amazing. The Pandora's box that that opened. Cause I was 19 at the time I was 19, my junior year of, oh, maybe my, yeah, my sophomore year of college when I took that class and it was like game changed. Everything changed after that. And, um, I started to go a little bit deeper into this world of non-competition and, um, travel and openness. And it just was a real pivotal moment for me um, to be able to experience, to connect the two worlds where I think there's a big disconnect of trying to figure it out. I just was like, there's something to this. Let me stay curious, which is one of the number one things of mindfulness and meditation. Keep an open mind because then we get to have the simple joys that we overlook, that we overthink and overanalyze but I think I was ready for it too, so. Yeah, and especially within the competitive world, it's difficult to balance both like trying to achieve a certain goal and to apply mindfulness, which is precisely this detachment, right, of achieving anything at all. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that was the thing where I was like, this doesn't make sense. You know, you're so driven and competitive self, you know, and I beat myself up and it was like, wait a second, mindfulness and meditation, there's no goal. Nobody wins. Um, there's not a person has to be better at anything. There's not a right way to do this. Oh my gosh. And then I was like, okay, what is this thing all about then? Cause it's a, it's a journey. You don't, it's just not something it's innate. It's innate that we have the ability to do this, but to, it's a skill to cultivate and learn just like learning how to ride a bike, learning how to surf, learning a new language, play the guitar. You practice, 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 mm -hmm. practice. Yeah, and we are so used to avoiding what we perceive as negative that oh, yeah. it can be challenging to create a daily practice of just sitting and feeling. And most of us are not taught how to even do so, regardless of how simple that might seem, right? And and probably if we don't have a regular meditation practice, we might not even be aware that we are distracting ourselves from pain that we carry in our bodies. Um, so what would be the steps for someone who wants to start their own mindfulness practice? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think that that's the biggest thing because what I heard you say, you know, the key words are just, you know, awareness and we stop ourselves and it's because it can feel overwhelming. But I think the number one thing is just to one, meet yourself where you are 
I think a lot of times we get in over our heads thinking, oh my gosh, I have to sit for 20 minutes and I'm miserable. No, the science and the research has been backed by all of this now. I mean, now with all the apps and opportunities, there's sitting meditation, there's movement meditation, there's sound meditation, there's all different types of forms. Um, but I truly believe that the way to do it, because it's experiential, it's a time when the mind and body are connected. And so if you think about, think about like, Kalima, what is one thing doing that you just feel connected? And when you're there, like you're all in, your attention's there, your energy's there, your heart's there. Like, what is that one thing right now? The thing that comes to my mind is yoga, which is- okay. Yeah. And so let's, and, yeah, and let's use that. And for some people, it might be exercise or cooking or gardening or petting their dog, but let's, let's use yoga. And so in terms of that, it's just, you can use anything that somebody we're currently doing and giving it, I'm not going to say, go give it your all, but this is where the, the method of mindfulness comes in. Again, the definition is, is an awareness that arises by paying attention to the present moment on purpose. So there's an intention we usually have an intention to do something. It's, we know it's going to make us feel good, but there's a reason when we're vested, we're going to give it a little bit more effort and care because we know that something is wrong. So not that it's wrong. We're fix it people. We want to fix things and we want to feel better. And the mind will do whatever we possibly can to kind of derail us from that. And so if we stick on the, the pathway of yoga where there, it's an intention to stretch, create connection, source, move, breathe. There's an awareness, you become aware of your thoughts, your body sensations, um, attachments to the should, the could. So again, it opens up and you just become aware of it. And then you notice your attitude about it. Am I being a jerk to myself? Am I pushing myself too hard? Am I attaching to a certain outcome? Am I, am I avoiding something? Am I doubting myself? Am I on autopilot? I mean, these things just start, and this is all based upon the Buddhist principles of mindfulness, you know, and then you just notice the attention wandering, but you're like, okay, yoga, our anchor is breath. So let me come back to something that keeps me here in my body. For yogis, it's the breath. That's the whole reason yoga was created and to stretch the muscles so we could, the yoga, the chitta vrittis, calm the mind, the monkey mind, and we have the breath. And so it's just, that is just one example of how you can integrate these principles. And that's what we talk about. I mean, those are the three A's, I call them awareness, attitude, and attention in the book. And that's how it's broken down. So when you can kind of think about braiding, you know, when you braid your hair, like these three strands, just they weave in and out. They just weave in and out together. Your awareness, thoughts, sensations. Um, notice attention when it's wandering all over the place. Is that helping you, hurting you? And then what is your attitude? Are you kind? Are you open? Are you patient? Are you trusting? Are you, um, you know, accepting things? And if you're not, okay, check in with that. And guess what? You begin again. Or you get up and you do something else. But I would, I would just suggest for people, there's not a right way. I highly suggest getting a teacher or a coach to do this with. I mean, this is something that I help people do with mindfulness-based stress reduction um, or just one-on-ones. Um, but I think it's worth a deep dive, not diving 
too much into the scientific research of it, but trust your body. Don't take anybody else's word for it, but trust yourself. Notice how you feel. Download 10% Happier app, download Calm, download Insight Timer, um, Headspace. Listen to sound, listen to some just soothing sound bowl music or kirtan or chanting. I mean, mm -hmm. we have to sometimes get out of our own way to open ourselves up to a modality of healing that before I didn't believe in this. I was like, oh, woo woo witchcraft. What is this hippie <laughs> shit? What do you saw smoke it? Like literally growing up, I grew up in the sticks. I thought all this was kind of like hogwash, you know? And that was, it was for the hippies. And then all of a sudden, I would have been the last person that my friends and people would have ever thought that this would be the life that I was going to live. But I will tell you, I am so much happier than what I, where I could even ever have imagined myself being when I was living in that other space of um, just very, it was a lot of toxicity, a lot of hate, self-hate. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and that's truly what allowed me to really embrace this. I was like, I feel good. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not taking a pill. I'm not drunk, not having sex, doing it. I'm not eating, doing it. You know, you can mindfully eat and that's all, you know, we can talk about, you know, my, the food battle that I've had with mindful eating too, and how that's helped. But, um, but I think it's just something, it's a, it's a gateway, a bridge and a mindfulness. John Kabat-Zinn is so lovely how he says it. It's, um, it's based on the wings of, you know, imagine a bird flying, just compassion and wisdom. And we all have this inner wisdom that we overlook soul. You know, that's why I love your, you know, um, she's got soul, just this meaning of the podcast is because mindfulness gets us back into connection with soul and it's here all the time. And it's a process where we just, we have to peel back those onion layers and look at things that are they're tough shit that's going to come up from childhood and our parents and past relationships and COVID has been, I'm sorry if I'm cussing, I don't know if I can or not on here, but, <laughs> um, but, but COVID has been like the most gnarliest time ever that has just lifted the veil of like the deep, the dark, the shadows. And we are confronted because we don't have any distractions right now. Yeah. And all you have is self and awareness, and attitude, and where your attention goes. And so it's been, um, I think COVID for me has really allowed me to dive deeper um, and just truly just become a student again, which has been what I know, I guess I really, really needed. And I didn't know that I did at the time. The mm -hmm. world had to stop for me to wake up again. Yeah. Yeah, when I say yoga, I don't even mean like yoga postures. Like for oh, me, yeah. yoga every morning is what is my mindfulness practice, what brings me back to who I truly am, uh, remembering who I am, right? And sometimes it's just a little mild stretching, breathing, and all of this is like what helps me stay grounded, stay focused inwards instead of outwards. And as you were saying all of these, I remember, like, there's a quote that I've read somewhere from you that I love, um, that it goes, being in the safe zone of life is like holding space in the friend zone while mm -hmm. tracking the path of seeking a relationship or a partnership. 
It's comfortable, easy, convenient, but yet there's something missing, an electrical charge of desire, clinging to fear of tapping into the unknown or a mistrust of instinct to go deeper into allowing the soul to feel a connection. And this all is related to the relationship we have with ourselves. We look for what's comfortable, but when we get into uh, routine too much, we lose the spark of being alive and we even stop celebrating the small things. And we're so focused on unconsciously seeking this safety that we become somehow dependent on what brings us security, clinging into partners, jobs, activities, all these external sources that we were talking about that ground us. Um, and yeah, it is important to be surrounded by a supporting community, to share things with our beloved ones, to count on a partner for certain aspects or to engage in activities that we are passionate about. But at the same time, it is equally important from my point of view to understand that we are doing all of the aforementioned things from a place of wanting to enjoy those things rather than from a place of lack. And by that, I mean from a place of not being able to be alone, to sit, as we were commenting on, and in peace with ourselves. So we look for staying busy, whatever shape or form this has. And because sometimes we even create discussions with our family or relationships to distract from what we're feeling inside. And we look for this attention or approval from the external world before tuning in or dedicating time to getting to know ourselves. And we're all living beings and it is our in our nature to change. So every day we are different from the day before. And it is essential to cultivate, in order to cultivate a healthy relationship within oneself, uh, we have to have this interest, this curiosity that you were talking about, about who we are in this moment, what we are experiencing. And all of this can only be done through being alone. And you, you have a beautiful perspective on that. And I would like that you share that with the listeners. Yeah, no, thank you. And it's amazing. I was rereading. There was a time that I was doing a lot of blogging and it's something that my heart is, I've been doing a lot of it, but just not publishing any of it, you know, through COVID and that time, you know, you do things when you're ready, but this aloneness, um, when I wrote that piece and an acronym of alone was allow um, what is it? Allow loving oneself to navigate existence. Um, allow, allowing one, yeah, loving oneself to navigate existence. And I discovered that when I just had this desire to go to Bali for the month and I went alone and I was out of a relationship that I think I was put in the friend zone on that really sparked that quote of like, I was on the end of not, I didn't just want to be this dude's friend. I was like hot on this guy. And I was like, how dare you, you know, but going to that place, I was like, okay, it's not about that. Clearly that's making me miserable. So let's, so that travel piece. And I think that empowerment of trusting myself. And I think a lot of times we don't trust ourselves to be alone because we're left to our own devices and Sometimes we don't know how to, they feel too much. And that's where I learned to 
it's like the moth to the flame. Like you have to go to almost what burns, but with staying curious and kind, but just, and, and be with it. You gotta sit in your shit, literally sit in your <laughs> shit. And I'm gonna say this because I've, I've done it. One, one thing I was in Bali going through training and I did a, um, there was a detox retreat that I was there for. And we did colonics like three times a day. And it was like, and you know, drinking green juice and you're clearing it on an energetic and spatial and subtle body level. So much stuff out just besides your large and small intestine and your colon, you know what I'm saying? You know? <laughs> and so, but it was those moments of extreme discomfort that allowed me and it was physical discomfort because then all the mind stuff was showing up or the mind stuff was happening and then the physical, you, you, it, you can't separate. It's just like, I don't feel good, but just to navigate the turbulence. And I think about trusting oneself to be exposed when we're raw and we're sad and alone. But then remembering, as you were saying, Coloma, which was so beautiful, like we go to all these other things, but it's like fleeting happiness. Those things don't exist. If you could just carry your life in a backpack or not even that, you just, all that stuff, it's joy. It's, it's, a, it's from the inner well of source, connection, earth, mother earth, plant, energy, medicines, um, um, ascended masters. Like you, it's this universal light and energy and soul, whatever lifetime, this lifetime, next lifetime, who knows? I don't know you know, um, but we're all just these particles floating around and people can choose to believe whatever they want to believe about that and have their own thought processes, which just makes us beautiful and human. But going back to the essence of human spirit, there's um, something that I think we can all trust with this aloneness that knowing that we're never alone, it's our journey, everyone's going through it, but there's a way to navigate it um, that's not going to derail you, but is going to help you lead you on a path of, of greater, you know, awakening, whatever that's going to be for each person when the time is right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something you said that I loved uh, about trusting oneself, this freedom that we experience when we don't seek acceptance, but accept ourselves when we feel alive just by being and enjoy our own presence when we're not slaves of others' opinions, judgments, nor depend on others' approval, nor manipulate them to, to get love. It is easy to say um, but that, but we're not fully aware when we act from this place of conditioning. And one example would be pursuing, as you were saying, a romantic partnership. I feel that especially for women, we are judged when we are not in one. And this sometimes can lead us to settle into relationships that are not what we want. And taking into consideration that the reason behind entering a relationship might be this culture conditioning. It is likely that you're not going to thrive within the relationship as the relationship is, is only fulfilling the need of approval. And if there are parts of you that you're still shaming from yourself, it doesn't matter the external approval that you get because it will never be enough because loving oneself comes from within. So 
I wanted to ask you how do you embrace actually being single yeah. in yeah. this so-called judgmental society and how this allows you to experience empowerment? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked this question because it's been a topic like I don't talk much about this. This is a conversation like I love that we can just have this camera kind of conversation between <laughs> two friends. But, you know, and, and that's been a big thing. You know, I'm 41. I'm single. I don't have children. And I think a lot of women have faced I, and I can, I'm only going to speak from my experience, but if there's been a lot of judgment cast, not just by outsiders, but me on my own self, like, am I in a lack because I'm not in a relationship um, because I'm not a quote unquote mom while well, I've mothered thousands of teenagers, you know what I mean? And so, but there's other ways I think this self-critic shows up. And I think for women and just, you know, those or those associating with, you know, whatever it is that we feel that we are energetically, um, we tend to, I, again, I'm going to go back to me. Um, it's been a choice for me to learn how to, I'm going to say choose, not necessarily choose widely, but to trust my own sense of empowerment by creating healthy boundaries. And if it's, I'm finally at a point, if it's not a full body, yes. Like knowing what all those parts are aligned and I'm out. Nope, I don't need to make an excuse. I don't need to, I don't need to now break plans with my girlfriends to go and meet a guy who is, because this is the only window of time that he has is an hour for coffee. Screw that. I'm sorry, my day is set. This is when I'm available. I value myself more. I've learned how to love myself more by saying no, because by saying no is saying yes to something else. And it takes time and it takes courage and you live in your head and you might lose sleep and you might lose friends. And, but you know what? You got to do it. And I think that that's been, you know, this doing me mode. Like I'm, I, I was listening to one, a podcast. I forget who it was from one gal, but she just like, I'm just going to date myself. I'm going to take myself out. And this is what I started to do when I, Again, I've been single for a while now, going to movies by myself, going out to eat by myself. This was before COVID, you know, no one, you know, it's just bring a book, you know, and then I thought there was a stigma behind it, but it was like, no, this is nourishing. I like this. This is okay. And so I think it's that permission, giving ourselves permission. It doesn't mean we're lesser than, but I think too, I believe that because I've been in this place of alone, but with a confidence of being feeling empowered by it, I'm still living. I really feel like I'm thriving in a lot more areas than I ever have before in a relationship. So when that relationship happens, I know how to express my needs on so many levels, physical, emotional, intimacy, um, financially. I'm in a place that I can and not be shamed or fearful of what the other person says, meeting them obviously from a place of compassion because I can only hope that person who is gonna show up in my life as partnership is gonna have done their work too. And whether it be through modalities of therapy or whatever healing they wanna do for themselves, I don't care, but just, we're all gonna have our garbage. We're all gonna have our backpacks full of luggage, but I don't need to open all that up and throw it on the other person. Like I'm, it's my, my responsibility to work through that so I can be present with my person and grow on a like path and help empower each other to be the best versions of ourselves. But I truly only feel you can do that 
when you've done your own personal work to the best that you can. And then it continues and be within a place where that person is gonna know that we each are continually evolving, um, whether you even opt to have a person or not. And that's the beauty of this. There's no such thing as normal or optimal. It's how it makes you feel. And if we feel obviously lonely all the time, I mean, that's the vibrational message that's sending out, then of course, law of attraction. That's just, you're not gonna perhaps attract what it is that you might perhaps really allow that could be out there, who's to say? Yeah, I love that. And definitely yoga and meditation help us find this place of clarity within ourselves and how we can expand what we know about ourselves and cultivate a healthy relationship first with our bodies through these practices, as you said, connecting with our needs. Or you have mentioned actually that you have gone through other healing modalities such as uh, being in contact with plant medicine and Ayurveda. And I would like to emphasize here that as we have been talking, like inner work starts within. So it doesn't matter uh, what other external resources you, you use to take care of yourself. If you haven't learned the tools to really integrate whatever other information you're receiving, you will probably not experience change. I mean, it's all part of the maturational process. Like if you're taught quantum physics, but you don't know how to apply the teachings, you might just become overwhelmed or confused. But I, I would like that you talked a little about your experience with Ayurveda or plant medicine in general. And in which cases do you believe that they are helpful? Yeah. No, and I love, again, hearing the key word that you said it was integration. You know, I think that those are, there are not any practice that someone chooses. You can numb out with it. You can go and do whatever you want with it. But I think that in terms of Ayurveda, I'll start with that just because that's the yogic science. And those are just simple. Again, the, the body, we have doshas. And for the, the audience members who aren't familiar with Ayurveda, um, you know, just ancient practice of that really allows the body to, you just, it's an opening of the human, the, the wisdom of the body through herbs and um, called dinacharyas and, and different like rituals that we do. Um, and just the basic stuff with, with Ayurveda lifestyle wise, it helped me, I think in the beginning, kind of get comfortable with um, learning who I was as a person. Um, learning my doshas, this vata, pitta, kapha, you know, what are you? And, and just going more, what type of diet should I be eating? What certain times of the day? How is this helpful? Oh, when I do this, I notice my behavior patterns and energy levels. And no wonder why some people are wired and, you know, it, it from 10 to two um, at night and, and early to early morning. And then some are just, they can sleep, they need to sleep all day. You know what I mean? It's just, it helps things make sense. And like all of us, we like to know. When we know things, we feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so with Ayurveda, it started with just some herbs and um, I had some um, autoimmune stuff going on and that helped a lot. But then I started to do the dry brushing for my skin, started to get rashes and I was like, okay, it's going to start dry brushing. I was having a lot of inflammation from the wrong foods I was eating. Um, dry brushing, tongue scraping. I've been tongue scraping every single day since I've learned this. So it's been over, geez, oh, since 2009. Um, neti potting. Um, just, again, these are just different type of, again, opening, opening up pathways 
opening up the alignment of your chakra systems. Like again, it's all energy. And so I think from there, I was like, wow, this is, there's something to this. You don't read much science on it, but I know how yoga nidra, um, releasing the subtle body energy, you know, visual visualization, energy rocks, healing. Um, and then that's going to go into just, you know, modalities of plant medicine, whether it be, um, you know, different forms of cannabis, um, psilocybin in terms of mushrooms. I, you know, I'm only going to speak to those two in terms of where my awareness is. I'm going to only speak from my experience, but I think for me, there has been a very um, spiritual connection to deeper healing when those are um, present. And I'm going to speak to this in terms of, I'm kind of feeling myself dancing around, um, but in terms of like edibles, you know, I think those can be great, but they also can do you a lot of harm. Um, have I smoked in the past? And, you know, sure, what, you know, but what, what people are going to choose what they do. And I think I was in that more of a cultural acceptance thing of things to, to, to look cool, which I think a lot of young people do, and especially the world I'm in in education. But knowing and then learning the benefits, the health benefits that can actually be people surviving cancer because of medical marijuana. I mean, how wonderful our world is coming to be open to such healing things. Um, in terms of, you know, plant medicine, I've been able to work with some shamans and learn how everything is, has a reason and is an ally from sun, the elements of the earth. Um, again, there is, when we can trust the plants and you can trust the presence of that understanding of what they can offer, I, I truly, truly, and you come from a place of intentionality and you are with people or a group or a guide that can allow you to have an experience to heal from a deeper ingrained space of emptiness. And I think that that is where I was coming from, um, on a journey and recently with a journeyist and um, it was one of the most soul freeing experiences I've ever encountered. And it was something that didn't matter how much meditation, how much yoga, how much therapy, I truly feel I would have continued to have done. I would not have allowed, I don't think I could have ever gotten to the place that I got to without the support of of the earth and plant medicine as is, is, is healing for my spirit and my soul. Mm-hmm. And that's just my own experience. And it was beautiful and it will stick with me forever. And, but it was truly something that I needed that I did a lot of research on. Um, and I just truly feel that there's a lot of benefits that we have to stay open-minded about modes of healing aren't necessarily for everybody and everything. Some people want to go and do the holistic route. Great. Some people want to stick to formal medicine, Western. Great. But um, the moment we start to cast judgment, you just, you never know what somebody else is going through. So. Yeah. And at the end of the day, anything that we consume also, not only medicine, like the air that we breathe, the food we eat, even the narratives in our heads, people we surround ourselves by, they all have an impact on our bodies. And when not practicing mindfulness, we might not pay attention to them. And as we get into 
mindfulness, we might raise our awareness around our negative thoughts or we learn to let go of what doesn't serve us in general, people, habits, etc. But what I find that what a lot of people struggle with here, especially in America, is with the relationship uh, with food. Mm. And I come from Europe and I didn't even think about it. I ate whenever I was hungry and chose the foods that I was craving and and that's it. And here, maybe because I'm a foreigner and I'm more sensitive to the cultural contrast around food, but people are obsessed with what they eat, what they shouldn't eat. And I feel society feeds an unhealthy relationship with nutrition. And obviously everything comes back to the image, right? What foods should you eat if you want to be lean, feed, lose weight? And so within the relationship we have with food, there are several aspects I would like to get your input of. First, if you can give us a brief overview of how emotional eating, you've mentioned it earlier, is born and how the toxic cycle continues, like guilt, remorse, etc. Second, your opinion on how to stop falling into this image-driven society and therefore buying into diets, the shoots, and focusing on how we look outwardly rather than focusing on how we feel and what we need. And finally, the importance of being present while eating. So yeah. you're inputting all of this. <laughs> yeah, you might have to, yeah, and catch me when I go off track and bring me back in. Um, but no, and as you said, it's, it's a relationship to been coming from Europe. You know, when I got to travel Europe, I was like, oh my gosh, I was, I was with my girlfriend and we, um, it was our college gift, our, our, we finished our master's degrees and we went to Europe, but it was like this luxury to have food and just buy what you needed for that meal. And that was it. You didn't have to go to the grocery store and load up for the week. And it was just that, but you were present with this, it was fresh and everything else. And so this relationship to food that the, the States have, we have here in America, it is, I think it can be so overwhelming, so overwhelming. And so um, you fall into a trap. And with that, the emotional eating, I think that's just something I've had as a child. I was raised that way. Food was there. It was comfort. And to the point where it didn't matter if it was cheese and crackers and all of a sudden the, the block of cheese was gone and then the box of crackers was gone. And then I'd go and run, you know, 10 miles and try to work it off and then go to basketball practice. You know what I mean? Just these behaviors and then the guilt sets in and it was like, okay, then you're caught in this vicious cycle. And, and then it was okay. Food aside, let us just let them just be, let me just go into just this exercise mode. And, you know, so I think it would almost where it was like not being able to see food as healing, but seeing it as like good or bad, good and bad foods versus how can I just have a healthy relationship, not only with food, but my thoughts about food? What am I getting? What are the feeds coming into me, into my, from my outside world, telling me that this is not right? Shutting, creating filters for what those is, you know, letting go of the diet books, letting go of the calorie counting letting go to, you know, and just paying attention to, and this is where the mindful eating piece was so pivotal for me, 
getting trained and how to teach it because that was the first time in my life, Coloma, that I actually, I bought a brownie and it was a good, it was a quality brownie from like Gelson's or something. It was something just decadent. And it was the first time I took one bite and that was enough. I didn't need to eat the whole, because I was in it and it was so lovely and everything about it. Just, I was like, and I, it was good. And I put it away because you know, the second, third, fourth, fifth bites or spoonful of almond butter, peanut butter, Nutella, whatever you want to do, doesn't always taste as good as the first one when you're paying attention to it, <laughs> you know? And I think, and that's the thing too, where food can be serve as a true, um, uh, just a staple to give us this thing that we feel we, we are, there feels like something missing or we need control of something. And um, there's a big, big stigma that can fall into a big cycle around that, a cycle of toxicity and back into the fact of developing a healthy relationship with yourself and with food. It's not good or bad. We are not good or bad either. You know, it's, it's how we relate to what is coming into our, um, again, your body, is here to heal you. We have to take a better care of it. Stop being a dick to ourselves and love it and nourish it. And think of it on the cellular level of this body relies upon me and my choices. And the moment that we can go into, again, back to mindfulness, this inner body wisdom and listen to that. Because when we're stressed and we're in emotional space and we consume, overconsume, underconsume, the body is in a stressed state. You're not getting any nourishment anyway because the digestive system shuts down. You're in the fight, flight, freeze mode. Of course, you know, so many friends are, you know, trying IVF and everything else. They're so stressed out about, it. of course, your reproduction system shut down because you're stressed out about it. And can we heal our bodies? Can we heal ADHD? Can we heal anxiety? Can we heal depression with food? Absolutely we can. Let's open ourselves up and be aware of what it is that we're either masking food with, but it's taking that time and the knowledge and it carried away with what everybody else is saying, but you have to try it for yourself, but catch yourself also when it's gone overboard and becomes more of a derailment than a support. And we yeah. don't always know how to do that either. Yeah. And at the end of the day, counting calories or focusing on the shoots, right, or on diets, it's another stressor for the body. You're stressing your body anyways by this overthinking. And that's why uh, mindful eating is another practice of just being present. And I find that all of this information is not taught in schools. At least I was not taught how to be present. <laughs> and I learned that through my experience later in life, um, Precisely when I was alone also in a foreign country and dealt with an accident there, I thought I was present and that I had been living uh, in alignment with my values and what I wanted in life. But actu actually, it was not until I started to connect deeply with my body in a different way than I had ever done before that I, did, I didn't know what presence truly was. And I realized that I was not celebrating life as I do now, enjoying every single moment and honoring life just by being alive, which is all we have, right? And, and I believe it is beautiful that you incorporate these teachings into schools so that children have the opportunity to grow a healthier relationship with themselves and 
be more connected to their own feelings and using emotions to gain a deeper understanding of who they are rather than being bombarded with lots of knowledge, as you were saying at the beginning, and information that doesn't stick. And, and it doesn't lead to happiness at the end of the day. I would like to know why did you start incorporating mindfulness in schools and how do you teach it? Or what do you observe in the kids? What impact does it have on them? Yeah, yeah, no. And I think um, I'll just touch real quick on the first part of the question and you know what I noticed why kids need it because I, I needed it. I needed it to be present because the moment I was showing up to class, but I was still caught up on what I was doing or what's coming up next. And I'm not there and that's not fair to them. I wasn't even showing up. So how do I expect kids to show up for me when I'm not even doing it for them? F that, that's not happening. That was a recipe for disaster. And so right away I had to check in with myself. And then, you know, everyone's on their phone. They don't know how to make eye contact or they don't even, you know, and I'm not blaming kids, but again, it's not taught. And so this is where it was like, hey, no phone zone. Doesn't mean no fun zone, y'all. But <laughs> my students, we, and we would start. And that was like, you know, and being so, you know, physical education, everybody has horror stories of, te- you know, learning PE and time to run the mile and having your body weight read out loud, and the fat calipers and all that stuff. And, you, you know, you hate PE, dodgeball, I broke my nose, you know, whatever story is <laughs> going to show up with that. But it's one of the most beautiful places you'll integrate mind, body, healing and connection because we use our bodies in so many ways. And so my whole intention was knowing that kids, specifically even high school students, there was such a disassociation of of those two things. So how do I integrate this and make it practical in every day so they can not only be present in my class, but also show up to science and then pass the SAT, get into their college or, you know, go and be able to give the speech for their ASB election kind of a thing. And so how I teach this in schools, Coloma, and just, again, it's, I, I like to do things in micro doses because again, attention span for all of us is so, so short. But again, just a daily question for my students, like, are you breathing? What? What's breathing? <laughs> again, well, is that the first time you're paying attention to it? Oh, well, I guess, yeah. And so, I mean, it's just, okay, well, how does it feel to, you know, take a deep breath? And there's, ask questions, not give them the answers, let them, give them an experience and it's like oh I feel that can we do that again can I lay on the floor again and and take a nap you know (laughs) can we can we do shavasana for 20 minutes instead of 10 minutes but you know body scan and so it's just being able and having the tools as a teacher because giving it to myself first nobody has any business going and try to teach us in the school if you cannot do it for yourself I'm sorry don't don't play an audio recording but you, and you get your, you know, get your fix in it too. You be a part of it with your students. But that's what I noticed too, is, is to make it their own, their own human bodies, their own science lab and start small and start to use opportunity of the body. Um, again, not and putting it in secular language, it's meaning secular. So again, it's, it's not a religious point of view. It is very open and explorational and it's experiential. And that's the key. It's going to be everybody's experience to, because life is not going to be easy all of the time. This is a tool that's going to help you navigate the terrain of negativity, of self-induced negativity. Oh, I'm noticing it. Oh, this is a negative thought. Well, let me forgive myself that I'm like being kind of a jerk and I'll 
But now guess what? I'm aware of it. So I can now choose something else. I can choose another thought. I can choose another act. I can choose another behavior that's more, it feels good because I know what feeling good is. I know that that kind of makes my, me smile. And I know also know what feeling bad is. That makes me angry and intense and I don't have friends. So giving them those tools of, again, empowerment, empowerment, not only as a teenager, but I mean, this is start getting started teaching in kindergartners. And I think you and I both as adults were like, geez, oh, I wish I had this, this stuff sooner. It didn't help me until later in life. And so that's the real, um, the, the, the meaning intentions behind it is to, again, start small, have it as educators and teachers, it, it's, it starts within, it starts from your school principal, the janitors, the secretaries, <laughs> taking time, make a conversation, take a breath, put your hand on your heart, because it's all relational. It's how we relate to everything, to other humans. Absolutely. And, and mindfulness closely related to the practice of kindness and compassion. As the more present we are, the more space we have to connect with this wellspring of love we're all born with. And however, sometimes there's a misunderstanding about being compassionate and kind all the time as a reflection of being mindful. And it is not the case. It becomes toxic when you're overly kind, right? Or when you do so in a disconnected manner. We're all humans and anger is a basic human emotion. And it's healthy to experience it. So if we block or ignore negative emotions, we are not doing any good. We're not showing ourselves as we truly are or as how we are experiencing certain situations. So it is important to not confuse mindful living for a positive state of being uh, all the time. Mindfulness is giving importance to our inner world to get to know ourselves um, better and show up from an authentic place, being able to manage stressful circumstances by breathing in and tuning in rather than blocking emotions and pushing or keep going and pretending that everything is okay until our bodies fall ill or whatever. So I would like to know your tips on how not to fall into this toxic positivity trap or how we can express our emotions in healthy ways. Yeah. And I love that question because I think I, I have fallen trapped to the toxic positivity. Oh yeah, everything's great. On the inside, I'm like, oh my God, all I wanna do, like if I put on another fake smile, like it's exhausting. But I think it's, um, it's the Yale Center for Int Intelligence does a great job and it's, we use it in schools and it's called the ruler system. And it's, it's dealing with the fact of, of recognizing your emotions first. Like I have to be able to recognize what it is I'm feeling and, and label it. And, and know that there's not a good and bad emotion. Anger is, is great. Happiness is great. Um, sadness is great. Um, anxiety is great. Because guess what? The same type of um, happiness and anxiousness, guess what? The heart is going to flutter in the exact same way. The heartbeat's going to be the exact same way. Are you feeling anxious or are you feeling happy? Well, guess what? The mind might know, but the body doesn't. 
So being able to label what that is, and I think to, to not fall into the trap of toxic positivity is again, becoming aware of the fact that there is everything that is meant to be felt is meant to be here and serve a, serve a purpose. Even the, the stuff that doesn't feel good is what we need to tend to the most. That's where you get to be the most mindful. And so once we can label and understand, so one is, so the R of the ruler is recognize your emotions. You is understand where they're coming from. So where is this coming from? Is this coming from, you know, my past, just something that just happened? Am I feeling, um, am I feeling insecure? You know, where, where is, where's the root of this? What's the root cause? L isn't, you know, label it, give it a specific name. Okay. This is, this is definitely what fear feels like uncertainty, um, instability, um, agitation, like give it an exact name because when you can name it, Dan Siegel calls it name it, attain it, you calm the mind. You get to use the, the prefrontal cortex of the mind. You name it because you're using a different higher part of the brain instead of the limbic system of like the alarm center, you know, my reptilian, here I go. I'm, I'm, out, I'm, I'm not safe, but you label it and you're like, oh, okay, high brain. We're going to make some sense of this. Oh, so this is, this is anger. Okay. And then E is being able to express it in a way. And once we can label it, we get back online to regulate our nervous system can bring ourselves down. So perhaps we can now express ourselves in a healthier way. Action, thought, words. So maybe you're not dropping the F-bomb and cussing somebody out or you know, putting something in a text that you know you're gonna regret later or in a shouting match with your partner or cutting somebody off the road. Like you're able to operate from a place of, okay, I'm gonna express myself in a more deliberate way, a way that I might wanna be talked to or perhaps the way I might talk to a child when, you know, put yourself in those shoes, they go to your inner child. How, how would you like to have that expressed by? And then, um, L-E-R, um, 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 what was the R? I don't know. I forgot the R. I'll come back to it. It'll come up in the moment, but that's kind of the, like just a, one way that we can, um, that we can, again, it's a process and it takes time and practice but when we start to feel the anxious and anxiety and some people might shut down, but that is the, that's our opportunity to wake up You're like, okay, what's going on here and reframe and reprogram ourselves because guess what? The brain changes. It's up to us. Neuroplasticity. It's just like this bowl of jello or so we can make and manipulate and change, but it's what pathway are you feeding? It's choice point. Victor Frankl's quote. Um, between submiss and response, there's a power to choose. And what is that choice going to be? You know, it's, it's that pause. Choose within the pause to do something different, to not feed into the toxic positivity because we know what? That's false. We live enough falsehood. It's, it's, it's time for us to be real and to be raw and to be okay with all human parts of ourselves. The ugly, the insufficient. Those are just thoughts or just you know, flesh, bone, molecules, you know, little spirits live inside and they all have souls somewhere. And um, it truly is. It is a beautiful experience. And even, even the gnarly stuff because it's our biggest teacher. Yeah. It's our biggest teacher. And to accept ourselves fully, the parts that we don't like, oh. our shadows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I only have one last question. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> Which is where can 
can find you and in what ways can people work with you? Yeah, no, thank you so much. And again, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the listeners who stuck with us for, for this long. I, I love it. I'm, I'm a podcast junkie. And so um, it's just something I love doing on my walks. But no, for me, um, I'm at, on Instagram and um, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Christy Curtis Wellness. I was doing Christy Curtis Yoga for a long time, but COVID helped me kind of realign now that I'm not really teaching a, a ton of yoga. I still teach yoga. Most definitely. I work with private clients and small groups, but I'm not in an active studio per se. I think this nice world of zoom um, has helped create. So hopefully that will bubble again um, because I do love teaching so much. So for yoga practices, um, Christy Curtis wellness and um, otherwise in the book is on Amazon and there's two versions um, of it. If you uh, Amazon, Anyway, we had a first version out and then we redid it. Um, so you want to make sure you can get the second version. And it's just a nicer, brighter color um, cover. Same type of um, couple things have been changed on the inside. And so I get Amazon on that. But yeah, and otherwise, yeah, and just work, work with me. My email is christycurtisyoga at gmail. And, um, but all that stuff's on the handles. And, uh, but no, it'd be great. Again, it's about sharing this practice and, we're all on a healing journey together and it's, it's okay to ask for some support. We don't always know. It's okay not to know. We're supposed to not know. That's what drives us to stay curious and open and tend to the healing of our wounds, whatever that might be. Definitely. I will leave all the links on the show notes, but um, I just want to thank you so much for your time and, your knowledge and for the work that you do and I, I am grateful for our friendship as well and you know you've been an inspiration for me for the last three for the past three years that I've known you so I yes. just hope that this conversation also can serve other people too absolutely yeah sisterhood it's so special you know and I just think I'm I'm forever grateful and I'm just so elated and excited for your journey and um, just like I mentioned earlier, like she's got soul, like this is, this is it. This is our, no one else gets to live this life for us. It's up to us and it's make it or break it time. And I'm, um, I'm just honored to share this time with you, friend. So thank you again. Oh, thank you. Appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want more content like this, make sure to subscribe so you get notified when new episodes are released. You can find me on Instagram at Inspira Los Angeles for more free and insightful information about mindfulness, ecology, and ancient wisdom. If you want to dig deeper, you can also check out my website, inspiralosangeles.com. There's free content that you can download so you can have some keys on how to live life from a more integrated and aligned space. Much love.